Good morning. Great to see you today. Um, carrying on that ugly sweater theme, um, I'm challenging some of you. I know that some of you are going to dress up like Cousin Eddie, so that'll be cool. I had some in the first service, um, you know, the white sweater and the dicky and... Um, but just don't do the one where he's wearing the short bathrobe. Like, dress up like Cousin Eddie, but let's not do that part of the movie, you know. So, but it's going to be a fun day, and uh, I challenge you to, to be a part of that. Also, look at this. Defiance Marshalls. Can you see that? Somebody in the church, Jamie, ran into this this week at Defiance Marshalls and bought it for me. I'm telling you, we're subversively coming in. We're infiltrating Northwest Ohio. They're selling Iowa Hawkeye stuff all over the place. So that's what that is. You might not be able to see it. I'm sorry. It's a buyout. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> you know, this, this, this series, this Christmas season, I'm hoping that in all of our hearts, this truth sits and saturates, marinates, whatever words you want to use, but it's something that we cling to. As we celebrate his first coming, we anticipate his second coming. Christmas is not simply a historical event that we look at, look back to, and just kind of fixate on. Christmas was actually, his first coming is an event in a series of events that form the plan of God. And so often we think about the story and the season and we fixate on what God has done. And yet it can be easy to forget God is going to do something even much greater. And as great and as powerful and as wonderful as his first coming was, his incarnation into this world, guess what? He's got bigger plans in store. And that is when he comes again and he establishes his kingdom on this earth. And that this earth that's broken and lost and as he's reaching down and he's rescuing and fixing us, the whole world is going to then experience a restoration. The planet itself and the people that were his, that are his, are going to experience a new heaven and a new earth. And that is what is ahead of us. And this season just simply reminds us, thank you, God, for coming and putting all this into motion. And he did that with Abraham and even before in the garden. But this is a, an event in a series of events. And so every time we hear a Christmas carol and every time we think of the, the nativity scene and every time we think about what he did and how he came, it is just something that's supposed to whet our appetite, so to speak, and build our anticipation for the fact that the best is yet to come. And it's God's plan, being faithful, coming in once so that he might come in a second time. You know, it's the nativity, though, the story itself, that does so much in informing us on the nature of how God comes into our world. Amazing as people waited through prophecies and how he came when it was, when it was not noticed. 
uh, how he came in this humble way and how it wasn't on the front page and it, it was disregarded. Um, all those things are kind of a picture into how God operates. And I believe that the nature of how he came the first time will be similar to how he comes the second time. And his scripture talks about that. People will not be looking for his coming. Um, he says, will there be faith on the earth? Well, you know, it will be something that not every, it won't, be, it won't be on the front page. Hey, Jesus is coming again. And yet, just as he was faithful to come, even when it wasn't, in, it wasn't looked for by most, it wasn't seen by most, when he comes again, he will come into a world that's not looking for it, but yet he faithfully will come again. And so we can see things from the first coming that help us maybe understand the second coming. Now, if you're reading the story and you're familiar with the scripture verses around the story of Christmas, these verses that I'm going to read for you will be very familiar to you, right? Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The commitment, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We're familiar with this, right? The promise that a child will be born and that part of the nature of this child, well, he, was, he will at some point establish an everlasting and eternal kingdom that is characterized by peace. And in fact, remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds on that silent night and they pierced that silent night what was the what were what was the ver, the song they sung glory to god in the highest heaven and on earth peace peace to those on whom his favor rests now ladies i, I invite you to uh join in this little informal survey gentlemen you do not have to raise your hand how many of you enjoy this Christmas season, the Hallmark Channel, and the Hallmark Christmas movies? <laughs> There's always one, Terry. <laughs> right? It's a whole thing now. It's like gaining, like, what was it, 50 days of Christmas? I'm sure they'll go to 100 days of Christmas. And you can get on the Hallmark Channel, and there is movie after movie after movie, Christmas movie. And I will admit, I have seen some of them, okay? Here's the thing about those movies. You know what I'm going to say, don't, don't you? They're boring. They're boring. <laughs> Once you've seen one, it kind of goes like this. You're introduced to this handsome man between the ages of 25 and 40. And then you're introduced to this beautiful woman between the ages of 25 and 40. And you know immediately within a few moments of watching that they're going to get together. They're going to fall in love. 
And you know inevitably in this that there's going to be some tension. There's going to be a misunderstanding. One of them's going to run away from the other, so to speak, or misunderstand. And invariably, a lot of times, there's a third character, whether it be a man or a woman who's in the movie, um, who's threatening their relationship and vying for the attention of, you're following me. (laughs) And you know that toward the end of the movie, there's going to be this moment where they're going to kiss and snow is going to fall behind them. And it's just beautiful, right? It's a hallmark moment. And even I will admit that every once in a while, I enjoy that. I enjoy it. And I do, like you, and that's why you keep coming back to them, right? You've watched one, you know what's coming a lot, and you're watching another one, right? And you pretty much know the plot, but you're sucked in. Because we love, we love that hallmark, those hallmark moments. Ah, this is the way life should be. And it all works out. And this is, right? And we really long for that. That kind of peace. That kind of experience of life. I call it hallmark. Or, maybe some of you are acquainted with this part of life. Henry was born in the mid-1800s, or lived in the mid-1800s. Henry and his wife had six kids. One day, kid you not, true story, wife's dress caught on fire and he woke from his nap to realize what was happening rushes to her attempts to help her she dies he is severely burned in fact the rest of his life he always would wear a beard to cover the scarring And he basically holds in his hands his wife who dies from burns. He's now the single father of six kids. The story goes that he was on the verge all the time of being committed to an asylum because he was overwhelmed by grief and the struggle that his life had become, the loss of his wife, the raising of six kids. To compound that, one of his sons without permission, without his knowledge, leaves one day to join the Civil War and fight. And so not only does a grieving, on-his-own father, dealing with the circumstances of life, now he has a son who is fighting in the Civil War. And in fact, sure enough, the news comes one day that his son has been severely wounded. And he's actually flirting with or on the verge of paralysis from his wounds. And it was in that season of his life, on Christmas Day of 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, in the middle of all of this in his life, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow sits down on Christmas Day morning 
and he begins to write a poem. And this is how he begun his poem. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong. Civil war, right? All around him. And mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I would say that all of us could sympathize or understand or maybe have lived through a similar experience when we look all around and we say, peace? Where is peace? And you can turn on Fox, CNN, MSNBC, and I hope you're not looking for peace. The news of the day is turmoil and unrest. North Korea, what's going to go down with China now with trade relations? Is the Soviet Union, what are they and who are we? You know what I mean, right? No peace, let alone the division and the strife that exists in our own country. And literally, we are moving toward a civil war of political proportions, right? Not a literal civil war. But we are in a sharply divided, strife-filled culture. Peace? Where is peace? No doubt, you can look in your own life and the culture that we live in does not lend itself to experiencing peace. Think about the day we live in. I've been thinking about some of these things. We live in a day of worry. Anxiety is at epic proportions. Seriously. The numbers, the surveys, we are more stressed out than we've ever been. People taking medication for anxiety, people turning to substances for anxiety. We are stressed out. The numbers are just startling. Worry is a huge part of our, of our culture, our society. Hurry, right? Hurry. Busy. Calendars that are jammed full now. So many different things. And hey, I'm right in the middle of this, right? I got young kids, school-age kids. And hurry and busyness so easily robs of peace, does it not? Think about crowds. We're more populated than we've ever been. And our, our population in our world is just growing and growing and growing. And we have less space, so to speak. We have more people, especially in our, in our urban centers. People are on top of people. And guess what that does? <laughs> have you learned this by now? People kind of, you know, it's not all the time a peaceful thing, the more people you have. Crowds. More choices, Right? We have more choices than we've ever had. And you know what comes with that? Not peace. I was always interested with, my, with the staff. 
like when we do something where they have to choose, you do some kind of uh, development thing, professional development or something like that. And I'm always interested at the ones who like agonize over A, B, or C. And I'm thinking that's the way our world is, right? Do I do this? I could do this. I have the option of this. This is an opportunity. And all these choices just create in our heart and mind um, <clears throat> this sense of uh, intrepidation, like, am I getting it right? Am I doing the right thing? And it robs of peace. Loss of privacy, right? I mean, social media and, and uh, technology, as beneficial as it can be, it also... It's created such a form that we've kind of lost privacy. And in that, we lose peace. Pluralism of our day. So many different kinds of belief structures and philosophies out there that threaten our thinking and that, that cause us to wonder and pause and have to work through this or that. And just the pluralism of our day. Things are not cut and dried out there as they seem anymore even though I would say it's still cut and dry so easy to be swamped and it robs of peace fear of the future obviously robs us of of peace and so when you think about the words of the scripture that he will be called the prince of peace What does that mean? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And honestly, if you and I are looking around, we are not seeing hallmark moments and we are not seeing hallmark movies. We could probably identify with Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And in despair, I bow my head. Where is peace? There is no peace on earth I said and I want to understand today a little bit more what it means when God promises peace because it's everywhere in this season I I walk in Candy's office there's a wreath peace on it my wife is I was joking in first service she was in here my wife's always making things and designing things and she's really good at that but she has made some kind of Christmas decoration. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know. It's got half wreath, hoop, and I don't know what you call it. But you know what she put in the middle of that? Peace on earth. Peace on earth, right? That's a phrase. This season is supposed to mean peace. What does that mean to us? And as I walk through the house, <laughs> I'm first of all wondering what in the world that is. And then I'm thinking about what it says, right? Peace on earth. You know, the the dictionary, the world defines peace in this way. A sense of calm, tranquility, quietness, bliss, contentment, well-being that we feel when everything is going the way we would like it to go. In essence, it's the absence of trouble, right? That's what the world thinks, Peace is if you can just have, not have trouble, if you can avoid conflict, if you can stay away. It's incomplete, though. 
to understand what God means when he talks about peace and have it only in the absence of trouble. Guess what? A pill, alcohol, a nap, money, things like that can alleviate some of those things and bring a sense of calm, tranquility, and quietness for a little bit. And the idea that to just keep the peace is to avoid trouble, that doesn't work, does it? And think about maybe the, the relationships you've seen where one person is always the peacekeeper. <laughs> Don't think about your marriage. You know, and one's not, and it's the one always trying to keep the peace. And you look on and you're like, by just avoiding trouble, you're not really going to bring about peace. You're just avoiding trouble till the next time and the next time. And the idea that getting peace and experiencing peace is just just keeping the peace right now, you know? Like, I'm not saying anything. The problem's not going away, but I'm kind of backing off, and I'm not going to... And we're, we're avoiding conflict, so there must be peace. That's not really peace. That's just avoiding trouble, right? Peace is so much more than that. And in fact, the scriptures beautifully say this. I would say that if the English definition of peace is like this, it's inches, the biblical understanding of peace is like this. It's in the word that's used in scripture called shalom. Shalom is a word that it means peace, but it's, it's a deeper and fuller understanding of peace. It's more than just the absence of conflict or disturbance. Shalom brings with it the idea of wholeness. <laughs> in fact, there's four ways to understand shalom. It's I, when I pray for the peace of God or pray for peace in a shalom type understanding in a biblical idea I'm praying for certain things it's the idea of being sound or whole emotional physical mental wholeness it, it carries a component which I wish for you the best health and wholeness and healing in your life that's what brings peace is a sense of wholeness not just did you avoid conflict it means harmony it means harmony of relationships there there's your conflict i pray for peace over you and biblical peace is i pray for wholeness and harmony it also carries with this idea this word shalom carries with it the idea of of success or a fulfillment of purpose Part of being at peace is understanding that you were made by God. He has a design. There is something he wants you to do. And you experience peace when there's an alignment with who you are and what you were made to do and you actually living that out. You know what I mean? Like you come to peace when you realize I'm living out who I was supposed to be. There's a, there's a peace that comes from in fact, this word is, it also carries with the word of prosperity. Prosperity. I want you to prosper in whatever you're doing. That's shalom. It also means victory. In the Old Testament, often, God was the God of shalom over his people. He provided victory over their enemies. And he would, he would pray and bring peace to Israel. And part of what that meant was they had victory over those enemies. In our world, in our context, I would pray shalom over you, peace over you, peace that you might 
you might have peace over death and suffering. That you might have victory over your selfishness and your sinfulness. It's, a, it's an idea of wholeness. Biblical peace is not simply the absence of trouble. It is the hope that you have the highest good coming your way. You see, God's peace means simply more than the absence of conflict or war. It is the longing for something bigger and broader. Not just inner peace or spiritual peace. It means wholeness and completeness throughout all creation. It means the end of injustice. It means the rich will no longer devour the poor. It means that all brokenness will be set right and healed. It means that people would love one another, that the shalom would flow deep and broad, embracing all of creation, and in fact, would include our creation. Remember what Romans said? That all creation groans even now, awaiting that day when it is restored, it is made whole, it is made right. Even the animals are groaning right now, awaiting and longing for a better day. And that is what it means for God's peace to reign. His government shall be a government of peace when everything is restored and made right. And so when he says peace, it's much more than I hope you avoid trouble. It's I hope that you experience wholeness. I hope that you experience harmony in this world. I hope that you experience prosperity, purpose in your life. And I hope that you have victory over all of your enemies. That's what he means when he says And if you're like me, you're like, <laughs> I'm looking around right now and I'm not seeing that. Anybody else like that? How many of you have seen wholeness in this world? <laughs> Harmony. The purpose of God being lived out. Victory over the enemies of this evil, dark world. It's not happening in a lot of places, is it not? How do I reconcile what he calls himself? And I would like for you to think about it as, as in two mountains. That as he came, as a child is born, a son is given, he comes in this series of events. This event ushers in the possibility to begin to experience in a full new way the peace of God. And yet, as he leaves in our world still, is in travail and brokenness and lostness. Just as he was faithful to come once, the promise is that the mountain will come again when he does come in final glory and establish a government, a world of peace. You see, the first coming testifies to us that he is faithful and true and his plan cannot be stopped and that at one day this world will experience a peace that is a shalom type peace a restoring healing wholeness to this creation to all of the creation and all of us who are in that creation amen you with me today or am i like 
left field here and you're like, oh, good Lord. I wish this guy would stop and I can eat. (laughs) So where's the tension between the two mountains? His coming first, his coming second. How am I supposed to live and understand this world? Can I experience peace when I look around me and I can totally identify with Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and said, there is no peace on earth. What am I supposed to experience as a follower of Jesus? And that's all I want to share with you this morning as we go. I believe it's in three ideas that the scriptures teach. I picked three prepositions. Any English teachers here? This is the way I understand peace through the years of just just reading and studying the Bible, that peace is to be understood in this way. This is how I experience peace. Because the scriptures teach that there's two types of peace. Now, the world teaches, the Eastern thought, the Eastern part of our world would tell you, hey, you can come to peace by looking inside yourself by meditation, by relaxation. That's where you find peace, is looking inside you, right? The Eastern mystical thought. The Western thought, we think that we can find peace when we achieve, when we come to a certain level of comfortability, when we achieve a certain thing, and if I can just get there, my life will be peaceful. The external and the internal, our world. And yes, the scriptures say that is true. There's an internal and an external. But it doesn't come from within you. And it doesn't come from anything in this world. It comes from one thing. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how we understand. How can I experience peace? How does that happen in my life? And it's in these three prepositions. First of all, the scriptures teach peace with God. We can have peace with God. In other words, Romans chapter five says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. It's the idea of what Ephesians is talking about. For he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace. Colossians, for God was pleased to have him, all the fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile, to bring shalom type peace to this world, all things, whether on things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through what? Through his blood shed on a cross. To experience peace, it starts with this Um, objective truth that Jesus Christ is our peace and that to start with peace I start with him and that him coming into my life I have ceased being an enemy an adversary toward God because that's what we do in our sinfulness right and I can never experience God's peace without first of all laying down my life before him and saying I am done with my sin and I am turning to you and I'm stopped. I am gonna stop fighting against you. I I realize my own life, I've experienced that. I knew what that was to do my own thing, to walk my own way, to fight against the ways and the will of God and to have no peace in my life because I wanted to do my own thing. And he says that, listen, peace starts with coming to a point where you accept Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior, and he is the one through the peace through his blood shed on the cross that all of a sudden I enter into a life where I am now at peace with God. 
I'm his child instead of his adversary. I'm his friend instead of his enemy. That comes when we accept him into our life as Lord and Savior. Peace with God. That's an objective thing. But guess what? The nature of God's salvation is far broader than that because he promises something beyond that. And it would say it's peace from God. Not only am I at peace with God, it's okay. I wake up in the morning and I realize I'm not an adversary. I'm a child. I'm not an orphan. I am a son or a daughter and I am no longer fighting against God, but I am now his child. But what happens from that? It's what Jesus talked about when he's telling his disciples that, listen, I'm leaving. And they're like, oh, you know, what am I going to do? Where am, what are you gonna, we're we're going to be lost. What is, how is this going to look? You're gone. We followed you. What does this mean? He begins to introduce the idea of the Holy Spirit being shed abroad. And in the middle of that, he says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Again, the world cannot give you peace. If you're looking for it in circumstances, if you're looking for it in relationships, if you're looking for it in success, you're going to keep looking. You're never going to find peace. Only Jesus, not as the world gives, I give. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled or do not be afraid. It's what, it's what he continues to talk about, Philippians do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pre re present your request to God. And the what? The peace of God, the peace from God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And see, to understand how to experience peace between in the valley, between the mountains of his first coming and the promise of his second coming. How do I get that in this world I live in? I first of all come to peace with God and then I begin to experience the flooding of his spirit into my life that brings peace from God. And it's this passage I keep fixating on because I want to let you go home with something that says, okay, he can bring peace, I get that, um, the world might be chaotic, but I can walk with peace in my own life, okay? But how does that happen? And I would say this passage is exactly perfect for what we need to know about living a life that experiences the peace that comes from God through his Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. He says, refuse to worry about anything. Do not be anxious for anything, right? Guess what that word anything is? anything and do not is what do not it's a command from God God's word to us is in this matter of worry anxiety and fear we are to do one thing not do it how do I experience the peace from God that comes into his Holy Spirit? What could rob me of that? What can distract me from that? What can pull me? It is worry, anxiety. And what he says is, he's very clear, God is refuse to, be, to worry about anything. I, I have a little video I want to show you that uh, this is just a good way to <laughs> explain what it means to refuse. This is a six-minute 
YouTube clip you can look at. It's Bob Newhart. Everybody remember Bob Newhart? I don't think he's passed yet, but he's getting older. Um, this is just a comedy skit they did. I took two minutes of it. He's counseling a lady. You'll see this, and he's playing the part of a counselor. Well, tell me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes! S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it! Stop it! That's exactly what Paul is saying to us about worry. Stop it! Refuse. Do not be anxious about anything. Do you want the peace of God to rule in your heart? Well, the one thing you're going to have to determine is I'm going to refuse to worry. I'm refuse to have anxiety. Anxiety is that emotion characterized by uneasiness, apprehension, dread, concern, tension. Anybody identifying with these words? Restlessness and worry. The Anxious individual often anticipates misfortune, danger, and doom. Anybody on board yet? A fear of uncertainty, a fear of a future that causes un emotional unrest. The classic definition in the Greek, literally, anxiety is a divided mind. In the German, it carries with it the idea of being strangled. In other words, your anxiety is literally strangling you. And it's causing you to be divided in your mind. And God says, refuse to go there. The things that cause us anxiety, the fear of our future, the conflict in our present, and the regrets from our past. He says all of those things, if you're going to experience peace, you have to right up front say, when those things start to invade my heart and mind, I am going to what? Stop it! 
I showed that video so that maybe you'll associate that. Stop it. Refuse to worry about anything. There's just no other way to talk about this. There's no other way to understand this. Peace and anxiety are not compatible. And God says, I have peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter good, bad, indifferent, ugly. I can give you an abiding sense of peace, this peace I leave with you, that not only are you my child, but you can live in an emotional state of well-being, of sensing that not only the objective peace, I'm right with God and he is my Lord and Savior, but I can day to day experience the peace that sustains me and comforts me and uplifts me. And he says, the one thing you're gonna have to do if you want that life is refuse to worry about anything. And you know what I have to say right now? Oh God, help me. Right? I guarantee you there's not a person in here that when I'm saying those words, you're like, yep, got that, check it off, keep going. No problems there. We're all like, oh, good grief. Lord, help me, right? Because the culture we live in lends itself to anxiety. And yet God is offering something to us. It begins with refusing to worry about it. Pray about everything. But, but everything by prayer and supplication. Pray about everything with thanksgiving. Thank God in all things, right? This is what he's saying. This is the prescription. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And this is what he said. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, think about these things. Think about about good things. And as he continues writing that, he finishes this way. I rejoice that you were concerned about me. And even though you didn't have an opportunity to show it to me, I know that you were concerned. And he says, I am not saying this because I am, need, I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever my circumstances are. You want to have peace and what he is promising to them about uh, the peace of God ruling your heart, this is a key component. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be in want or have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, listen, peace is not dependent upon your circumstances because I can do all things him who gives me strength he says genuine peace is an attitude it's something we learn as we walk with God and he gives it into our lives in fact he says prosperity does not have the power to give you peace neither does poverty have the power to take it and he says, promises peace between the mountains of his coming and his second coming and the hope we have that all things are going to be restored and shalom is going to exist. How can I experience that in my life now? Peace with God, peace from God, but there's one thing that I'm going to finish with and that's peace of God. Peace of God. Because this is what Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. What he's trying to do in this world right now, as he is, as we are waiting for him to make all things new and restore this creation, 
is he calls us as his people to not only experience peace with him and from him, but to be his agents of peace in this world, to spread the peace of God as he did. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. And quite simply, if you read scripture, so often peace and righteousness, justice, are, they're intertwined. In fact, the psalmist says that righteousness and peace have kissed one another. And what I would say is quite simply this, and I'm hurrying, I promise. If you want peace, seek justice. Seek justice. Get yourself just engaging in the justice and the goodness of God. There is no peace without justice, without righteousness. And you and I are to be peacemakers because now we are at peace with God ourselves and we are experiencing his peace. We shed it abroad into our world and part of the way that we do that is we seek justice in our world. We are about those causes and those things where we fight against injustice and we care about unfairness and we reach out to those who are marginalized we care about the poor we care about those who are in our society we are peacemakers we are seeking to be agents of what God has always been about and that is making things right that's how we seek the peace of God in this world and as we continue to do that we see his kingdom advance in this world knowing that he will be faithful to bring it to completion one of these days and we get to in this world be agents of peace. And there is nothing more. It's that shalom peace, wholeness, well-being, things right. And we are agents of that. You know, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that day sat down and wrote that poem. And he thought about the circumstances of his life. And he was coming to the conclusion that there is no peace on earth. But he continued to write that poem that morning. You remember these words? Because he said, I heard the bells, though, on that Christmas day. Their old familiar carols play. And he said, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in the midst of his unpeaceful circumstances, as he heard the church down the road begin to play the carols and proclaim that Christ had come, he was reminded that just as Christ had promised to come once, he's coming again. And that he will bring an everlasting, eternal kingdom of peace on. It's coming. Just as sure as he came once, he's coming again. But in the middle of that, in between the two mountains, you and I can live this out through the power of his Holy Spirit and being used by him to bring peace into a lost, dying, unpeaceful world. Father, make this so. Help us in these days to experience your peace that you always promised. Lord, there's not a one of us that can't think about how anxiety and worry and fear 
so easily slip into our hearts and minds. And yet, you're, you're pretty straight with us. You, says, you say, don't do that. That's why, Lord, you said more than anything else when you were here, do not be afraid. Because you want us to understand that as your children, we are completely secure. Lord, help us to experience the abiding peace of God in this season. But Lord, also help us to live with the mindset that it's coming and this earth is going to be restored. It's going to be flooded with the peace of God. Peace is going to rule this world. And we anticipate that also. That gives us hope. That sustains us when we're, when we're tempted to look around and say, this is all just falling apart and we are doomed. The best is yet to come. Go with us, I pray today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.